Hello, friends, and welcome to the show. This episode of HR Oxygen is brought to you by Boss Builders University. If you're looking to train up your non-managers and individual contributors, please check out our newest offering, The Art of Being a Great Teammate. In this 12-month program, I'll be taking your employees through the program, which includes topics on communication, managing your boss, getting results without authority, customer service, problem-solving, decision-making, and much more. The sessions are virtual, running one hour each month, and I'll do it using our popular sketch and seminar graphic art and storytelling format. No boring PowerPoints, stale stories, and outdated tools and techniques. The sessions are engaging and provide tactical, practical tools that can be used immediately after the sessions. You can either have your entire organization take the program, or if you have just a few folks, join one of our open enrollment cohorts that start every other month. For more information, visit us online at thebossbuilders.com. Well, we are in the early part of 2022, and with the great resignation still in full force, the big challenge many organizations are facing is hiring. Fortunately, we have a guest today that will give you some great insights. Tatiana Kier is the author of the book, Hire to Win. She's an expert in recruiting and will share lots of great insights on how you can get the right talent, sometimes by going slow in order to be fast. Lots of great questions that we asked. She gave us the answers we all needed to hear. So I think it's time we let her do the talking. You know what time it is for you, though. Make sure that seatbelt is buckled low and across your hips. Make sure that personal items tucked under the seat in front of you. Time for us to taxi to the runway. Should the cabin lose pressure, oxygen masks will drop from the overhead area. Please place the mask over your own mouth and nose before assisting others. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast, the show focused on the overworked, overwhelmed, and underappreciated HR professional. And now, here is the host of our show, the boss builder, Mac Monroe. Tatiana Kier, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for agreeing to be on the show. (laughs) We're going to be talking today about how to transform your hiring practice and win and maximize business results. You are the author of a book, Hire to Win. And so what we want to do in our time together is talk about how we handle this. This is an unusual time for an old geezer like me. I've seen the trends come and go. And we are definitely in a place I have never seen where there is far more job openings than there are people that are interested in taking those. It's a true battle for talent. And I'm hoping that you can kind of help us with that today in our time together. So before we get into those questions, Tatiana, I was hoping you could share your background with us because you do have a pretty interesting background. Yeah, it is quite interesting. And I have to say, you know, I really fell into recruiting. I, I, I studied political science. And uh, when I graduated, I um, you know, worked on Capitol Hill. Uh, but at the same time, I was actually paying for college. So I um, you know, was working in retail and, you know, I noticed that sales just happened to come naturally to me. Um, So I I didn't think, you know, that I would be a recruiter, nor did I even know that that was an actual job. But a friend of mine actually went in to work for a small recruiting firm and uh, that uh, that president of that recruiting firm was looking to expand. And so she's like, look, like, I don't know anyone who's a recruiter, but I know this person who's really great at sales why don't you talk to her? 
So I went through the interview process, somehow got the job, still not real sure how. Um, and then on the first day, you know, I, I was given a phone and a computer and they're like, here, go figure it out. You're a recruiter now. So uh, <laughs> I was like, okay, how, like, what, what are we doing here? Um, and, and combined with the industry that we're in, um, it was placing chief compliance officers and general counsels and financial services. So I heard terms like, you know, Dodd-Frank, Volcker Rule, Chinese Wall. I'm like, what is that? Like, like somebody to like help you understand these terms, never mind, you know, what it takes to actually like interview someone. I had no idea. But um, I ultimately, you know, treated it like a foreign language. So I had like my little note cards. I had my, you know, Bloomberg in the background. I was reading the financial news and um, it worked out pretty well for me because what ended up happening was uh, I started to share news with candidates about their organizations, about like, you know, things that I have seen that they may not even be aware of yet. So I was able to um, build a, a lot of great relationships and trust with those individuals to the point where I became a top recruiter. Uh, and I didn't know that that was going to happen. Um, and then I moved to a different company called Creative Financial Staffing, and they were uh, placing accounting professionals across different industries. And their whole pitch to me was, come help us turn this office around. We have, you know, 50 plus offices nationwide, but the office in New York is not doing well. We're thinking about shutting it down. Any normal person probably would say, hmm, like, no, like that might not be for me. But that was actually a, a really exciting opportunity for me to, to come in and turn it into a, like a, an award-winning office. And, and so uh, I can tell you that, that we, we accomplished that and the office continues to be award-winning, even though I'm no longer there. So that's really cool. Um, and then I joined Liumi and I really, you know, joined during a time of transformational change. And it's a bank and it's a bank that's been in U.S. for 65 years. We had a parent company out of Israel that's 120 years old. And, you know, I was the first recruiter. So I'm like scratching my head, like, how is that even possible, right? And, um, you know, very quickly, I understood why, because just like you alluded to, the, the um, landscape of hiring is so different now compared to anything in the past. So until, you know, until I had joined or we had a new CEO join, um, until that point, our turnover rate was 1%. Right. Like people used to be, you know, with a company for 30, 40 years, it was their first job and their last job. That doesn't really happen anymore <laughs> as much, right? Uh, but uh, but that started to change even then, where we um, just had so many um, uh, updates to our technology operations and so forth, and you know created a, a talent strategy as well. So uh, you know we had to transform a talent acquisition practice from having you know a paper employment application where I think that we were asking like eye color and marital status, right, to, <laughs> to a very different, uh, different standpoint. So where we are now, you know, six years later is, you know, I feel like I've worked with six different companies because the, the, the organization has transformed so, so much and I learned so much through it. Wow. That is quite a journey. So now you are located in Los Angeles, Long Beach specifically. Yep. And so aside from the book, what are you doing today? Where's the focus of your effort today? Yeah, so uh, so I grew up as a recruiter, I would say, right? So I just uh, explained my my little journey right. uh, of recruiting. 
So it just happens to be really, you know, came naturally to me. It's not something that I had to work really hard at. I'm, you know, maybe unfortunate or fortunately, I'm not sure. But um, so that that's what I do by day. And I think, you know, that's where my my talents lie. But my passion also lies around learning and development as well. So within, within our organization, I head up talent acquisition and learning and development. So I do a lot of coaching. Um, I, you know, facilitate programs and so forth. And then by night, I put on, you know, my superhero cape on and I'm like, how can I help any, any hiring teams uh, who are just using practices that may be outdated. So I wrote this book. Um, I'm hoping to perhaps, you know, create a community of um, individuals who can learn from each other, uh, the kind of the art of recruiting and hiring and other talent practices. Uh, so I do have like a website and so forth. And but it's very, very early stages at this point. Yeah, but you know, a lot of stuff for you to come in cold. And that's how a lot of HR professionals get in that role. They're admin assistants, they're, you know, program or project managers, and then boom, they start in there. And before you know it, you've made it an entire career, but you focused and drilled down deep on recruiting. And I love the fact that you really talked about sales, because in a sense, I think that's what recruiting is. You are selling. When I was in the military and getting ready to go in, I was sold by a recruiter. Now that guy sold me a bad bill of goods, but he still sold it to me. But that's what recruiting is. So now let's talk about some of the concepts that have worked well for you, because our audience, again, is probably struggling with this and the techniques that you've put together, I'm convinced are going to be able to help. So let's talk now about remote first hiring. Why are so many people struggling with this? Yeah, so, you know, pre pandemic, right, like it was pretty unheard of to hire someone who you didn't meet with in person, who you didn't, you know, sit across the table from shake their hand and so forth. And, you know, post pandemic in the current environment, the same techniques are just put in place, they're just done virtually, right, we still rely so heavily on gut feelings, just, you know, do I see the fire in their eyes? Do I see a connection with them? Do I have similarities with them? So where where managers are really equipped is, um, is that they're using the same tactics that they had done in the past. However, candidates' behaviors have changed, right? No longer are candidates uh, just chasing a bigger, bigger paycheck. There are other things that are important to them, like what's the life-work balance looks like? What's, you know, how can I live life uh, that is important to me outside of just going to work? Um, so, so candidates are coming with questions. They're, they're kind of driving the hiring process. They're interviewing the companies much more than they had done in the past. In the past, it was really like, you know, the, the hiring manager would take 25 minutes to, to interview and maybe leave five minutes for, for questions like, OK, let me turn it over to you. That's not no longer enough. And then, you know, they're surprised like, oh, how come this candidate, you know, ghosted me during in, in the middle of the interview process? Why did they turn on turn my, my job offer down? Um, so that's one where, you know, it's now truly be has become so complex and there's truly now an art uh, and a science. There's still a science part, but there's truly an art to to hiring. And that still that continues the, the process to post that when the hire is made. Right. So typically when uh, a new hire starts, uh, you know, they, they would have some sort of onboarding 
plan that would likely include somehow to integrate the new hire with the team. So a lot of times pre-pandemic, they would say, let's go to happy hour, right? Well, that's great. You know, you have like little side conversations and you're able to talk one-on-one, you come together as a group, but maybe it's too loud. So you have like little side conversations. But if you take that same practice to make it virtually, okay, well, now you just have one conversation. And instead of having side conversations and building relationships, you're just creating a stage for one person at a time to take the stage. And at the end of the happy hour, you some people would come away you know, feeling really good about their performance on stage and some people won't. But overall, we're, we're just, the challenge is really that we're employing the same tactics uh, that that we had done in the past and hoping for for you know the same or better results in hiring and that just doesn't happen. How critical is that happy hour experience for a really good selection? Yeah, so for so the way I think about it, like the the kind of analogy that comes to mind is if you watch the. Um, uh, the movie, like meet the parents, you know, like there's a circle of trust, right? Uh-huh. Well, there's a new hire that comes in and they're outside of that circle. And the more they try, the more they, they kind of dig themselves into this hole, right? And the more like mistrust there is, right? So it is really critical to integrate that new hire uh, into the team quickly because they're not able to turn to the left, turn to the right, like they would in person to say like, hey, like, let's go grab lunch. Hey, like, by the way, how does this manager like to communicate? Do they like one-on-ones weekly, every two weeks? Do they like phone calls? Do they like emails? Like, wh- how do we communicate as a team? It's now a lot more, it needs to be, um, a, you know, a focus to, you know, let's schedule a time to connect. Let's like, what's, what are we talking about? Like, what was the outcome here? It's a lot more diligent. There's a lot more work that needs to go into it versus just saying, let's, let's go to happy hour. Let's figure it out on the fly. Like that, that, that just doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. I love that analogy of circle of trust. And I have a feeling that for a lot of organizations now they've put up a big barrier in that circle because I think that is the experience. People are ghosting them. People show up for a while, then they turn away uh, you know, I read just a couple of days ago that Home Depot is now really because they realize that there are so few people for jobs that if you say, well, we'll we're going to have a meeting next week and then we have a group interview two weeks from now and then three weeks from now, we'll probably have a final interview. I mean, when I got out of the Navy, that was the way it was. It's like it took me three months to get a job anymore. No one's going to tolerate that. Home Depot says you interview today and you pass tomorrow. You start and boy, you got to just snap people up quick. So all of that being said, now, how is that going to impact the hiring process from now for maybe the next few years? Because I think that's really going to be it. You know, we've got to do it right, but we got to do it fast. And I think some would argue, no, actually slow is fast, but when you need people, you can't wait around. How's this going to impact kind of the processes that you use? Yeah, so I really like that you said like, no, slow is fast because, you know, I think that there is a time to move faster and there's a time to slow down. So here's when we we need to slow down. This is where I've seen um, managers try to move too quickly and it becomes an issue. Um, and that uh, that's around creating a job description, right? So when usually, uh, you know, a hiring manager is told like, okay, great, you can hire someone, right? What do they do? They're like, great, let me go look on LinkedIn. Let me look on Indeed. Let me type in that job description and, and let, let me borrow some of that job description into my my own job description. 
Um, and so what ends up happening, they create a very generic, very vague job description, hoping to cast a super wide net of candidates, which they do. Then they invest a pretty a big chunk of time of screening candidates, because now you have like 500 candidates who applied because the, the job is so vague. Everyone's like, well, maybe, let me try it. Let me see what happens, right? So, so they go in and they invest a lot of time of doing pre-screens um, where, you know, we're, we're not even real sure what we are exactly looking for. We're just saying like, I'll just know it when I see it. There, there'll be a spark. I'll, I'll just know it. When, when I have the perfect candidate on the phone, I'll know it. So there's so much time that's invested. And the analogy here that comes to mind is like if you're trying to build a piece of furniture from Ikea, you know, I everyone goes to Ikea and the directions of putting together that piece of furniture is right on top of that box. But the amount of time <laughs> that direction is is ignored is is great, right? Because everyone's kind of thinking like, oh, I, I got this. I know how to put a table together. Let me let me start putting this together. And then all of a sudden you come to the end, you're like, oh, there's this extra leg. What, what do I do with this leg? <laughs> okay. So now you have to either like work backwards or try to figure things out. And that's what job descriptions, you know, when you try to go fast, this is what it looks like. You're like, I'm just going to figure it out as I go along. Well, you're probably losing some game-changing candidates in the process because a, they're not going to apply to a vague job description, and B, they're probably interviewing at other companies who already had it figured out. So while you're trying to figure it out, they already figured it out. So this is the opportunity to slow down. And I know it's hard because if you have, as a manager, if you have all this work being piled up, all you need is just a body to delegate the work to. I get it. But if you kind of look at the return on investment of time that you have to put in place of rebuild that piece of furniture or rehire someone or recreate a job description, I would say slow down first and, and create your job description, create an interview plan, identify what competency skills are important to you and how you're going to interview for them, who's going to interview for them. I've actually had a I, I had seen uh, a job posting uh, yesterday where they actually wrote out their interview process. It's going to take 30 minutes with this person. It's a technical interview. It's 60 minutes with this person. It's a peer interview. To me, that's very much attracted, uh, you know, attracting to a, 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 a top candidate because they know exactly what they're getting themselves into. They, you know, they may choose not to apply because they say, like, look, you know, this is too much for me as an interview process, but at least there's no wasted time, right? Like, you know, the company, this is important to me. Uh, and the candidate is like, you know, this is important to me not to go through the process. Well, then it's not a fit. And there's a, there's a, a lid for every pot, right? Or a pot for every lid. So that's okay to say, um, you know, that that's not going to work. And then the opportunity to go fast, you're hundred percent right. Because once you you're engaged with a candidate, if you try to figure out, well, well, who's going to interview them next? Oh, wait a second. Let me see when their their calendar is available. Oh, let me see. Oh, no, they're on vacation. Oh, you know, that that's where you have an opportunity to actually go faster because you had figured out what you need up front. Hopefully you've engaged those individuals before you post a role and say like, hey, I really value your opinion. I'm going to engage you in the interview process. Here's the competencies that I want you to, to help me assess. They'll prioritize, you know, interviewing. I've had individuals who actually, you know, interviewed candidates during their vacation because they realize how important it is to go fast in this uh, in this process and extending uh, an offer once you have the top candidate.
So I like that balance of slow and fast and being nimble. Now, we've recently had an experience, and I'll go ahead and sh I can share this on the air, but you know, I'm looking for some folks that can do some of the training that we do because I'm at the point some days I'm doing five, six sessions. And so we put an ad out on Indeed, and you know, I know a little bit about this, so I was very clear the things I was looking for, and Lisa sent it off, and we started to get candidates. Well, she's like, okay, we're at 45, and like an hour later, okay, we're at like 50. Okay. Now we're at, we're, we're just going, I, she said, I'm going to stop it. I said, okay, let's stop it. So we started to look, but I'm telling you, as I went through these, I'm like, what the hell thing did you all read here? I've got people that have zero training experience and I got a ton of people that say, oh, we're good at teaching, you know, Salesforce. And we're like, I don't need technical trainers. We don't teach people how to work Excel here. We're doing the business of management development. And out of all, I think we stopped the, we shut the thing off at 61. And of the 61, I only found two that were even close. And we've talked to both of them. We're still in the process right now, but it's overwhelming. So I think you throw that old school way of searching for work, which is the shotgun approach, you know, and I, when I was getting out of the military, that's what people say, you should be putting out, you know, 50 to a hundred resumes a day. Like, well, geez, you know, if a sniper shot that way, they'd kill all the good guys, right? You need, it's, so we're balancing some of the people with that still. I'll just throw it out and see who takes it versus me as the company. Like I need a very specific set of skills here and not just the skill. I need the person that fits in this place pretty well. How is all this going to balance out in your opinion? Yeah, it's so interesting. So uh, I heard another military military rule, and tell me if this is correct or not, but there's that 40-70 rule, right? Like you need between 40 and 70% of the total information to make a decision, to, to make a decision. With less than 40%, you will likely make a poor choice. And with more than 70%, you will end up taking too long and the decision is made for you. How does that resonate for you? Yeah, so it's somewhere in the middle then. There's a balance then, right? Right. Well, there's a balance. And also too, you know, if, if we're expecting a candidate to check off 100% of the skills that are there, we're going to be waiting for a real long time. You know, I've had hiring managers who would start listing out, you know, 20 different like must have skills. Like they need an MBA, they need to have 10 years experience, they need to have this industry experience and this, you know, this um, uh, technology experience and so forth. And then when I actually dig into okay, well, what is it like the actual challenge that you're looking to solve? And what are the skills that are absolutely necessary to uh, resolve that challenge? Do they really need an MBA to, to be organized? You know, do, if like, it, it just makes me question in terms of what are we putting out there as must have skills. And at a certain time, at a certain point, you just need to make a decision with what you have. So you you can continue to, to leave the role open indefinitely. You can continue to collect data indefinitely and having the candidate go through a ton of different interviews. But at the same time, at, at a certain point, you need to make a decision. And so to me, how I make a decision is looking at time, value, and impact of an individual, right? So time, how much time would, it, would you need to invest before the candidate brings, uh, uh, gets up to speed where they need to be, right? And maybe it is someone who's a stretch, maybe someone who you need to train up front. So, so you need to think about, well, what's the time there? 
then you kind of look at, well, what, what is the value? What does this candidate bring to the table and how important is that for me? And then the impact, how is it going to impact your entire overall business? Right. So out of those two people, you know, like, look, like there's two people that, that I like. So, you know, or they're, they're okay. You know, so you can either open it back up and you can continue to collect a, a whole lot more candidates, which is totally fine if, if that's what you choose. Or another opportunity is like, look, like there's two candidates who are pretty good. They're at least 70 percent there. So then you kind of start looking, well, let's look at the time value and impact and how much am I willing to compromise here? If the answer is no, then that's okay. You just restart, right? Like I, I've had a, a few times where uh, a manager would go through an interview process with, you know, top three candidates, top five candidates. And at the end, we're saying we, we're, not, we're not able to extend an offer to, to any of these. Mm -hmm. So it, that's okay. That's okay to do, right? Uh, but I then start to, to question in terms of, well, what did those candidates miss? you know, what are you looking for that is not there? So that way we can go back and update the job description. So that way we can update our interview conversations with candidates. So we're not spending so much time of seven interviews in figuring out we actually don't feel comfortable extending an offer to either one of them. Um, so it's okay to, to continue looking for the right individual. Uh, mm -hmm. But at a certain point, you, you do need to make a decision one way or another, unless you just want to keep the, the role open. Indefinitely. In your experience, how how often do hiring managers simply do a Google search? Oh, we need to get another uh, project manager. Hey, go out and find me kind of like the average things that project managers do. Or, you know, they basically pull things out of the air, out of their ass to put on that position description. How often is that happening today? Where it's all the time. Not, is it really? Okay. Because I think it's probably happened a lot in the past, but all it seems time. like now, you know, that's a person that I think probably doesn't see the larger picture of what's going to add value here. Does that sound correct? Right. So that's the challenge, right? Like to your point, it's happened so much in the past. So if we're going to continue to use the same tactics, thinking about, well, it got me the results I needed back then. All I had to do was just, you know, borrow someone else's job description or Google the, mm -hmm. you know, what that person does and you know, just kind of put that thing, put put um, a job description together that way without really identifying how is success measured? You know, what am I expecting from this person three, six, 12 months into the job? What does the career path look for them? And by the way, the answer of like, I'm looking for someone to take my job doesn't work anymore. And that was a, it was a real common answer, right? And, and it really discourages people, especially especially after, you know, say two, five years, and they're like, well, you're still here. You know, mm -hmm. when, when am I going to get promoted, right? Yeah. Um, so, so yes, it, it happens all the time. And that's, that's where those companies lose out on talent compared to those individuals where, as I mentioned, I was looking at a job description yesterday, they, they wrote out exactly in their organization, what, it, what is the the day-to-day -day look like? What does success look like? The first, they outlined the first year uh, mm -hmm. of what that, so it's a very long um, job description and, and perhaps you don't read all of it, perhaps you like skim through it, but you can come back to it as a, uh, as a document during the interview process of, of uh, having common language, of actually talking about specifics versus hypotheticals of like, what would you do if a system broke? Oh, you know, mm -hmm. I would, I would, you know, create a plan. I would get stakeholders buy-in and I would go in and fix it. That's all hypothetical. You're not talking about specific 
uh, specific scenarios. You're going to lose out on talent from the beginning in the interview process. And, you know, and you're going to have a hard time of doing performance management when the person is there. Well, I think there's going to be a completely misconstrued expectation too. So that's the traditional way that people tend to look. And I have seen some of those descriptions on LinkedIn where it's like, you know, this is what you'll be expected to do by the third month. And I thought, wow, that's actually, it's pretty good. If I was looking for work, that would be really helpful. But what about the other piece of this? Because this is one thing that I did learn as I was transitioning out of the military. And even when I taught some of these transition courses is that majority of people today that are finding jobs are finding them through their network or connections. Now, if that's true, and I, I think it probably still is to an extent, how can hiring managers actually feed that process? Because they're out looking for talent too. Is how, how does the, you know, we always say you need to network your way into a new job. Let's see it from the hiring manager's position. How do we encourage a network into that position? Yeah, so there's a couple of things. One, you know, um, you need to, you know, actually put it on your calendar and make it a habit of doing it. There's a saying, right? Like if it's not on your calendar, then it won't happen. Right? So if you're just saying, oh, I'm just going to network, I'm just going to build connections. If, if it's just like such a broad concept, like when, when are you actually going to do that? You need to create a plan of how to do that. Um, and you need to identify, um, you know, for what, what is your approach for each type of person, right? So if it's a game changer individual who would literally change the course of your business, but you may not have the budget currently, you may not have a role currently, whatever your constraints are, it's still really important to build that connection with that individual because you know what, even if you never hire them, they may introduce you to other people. They may open up their network, whatever the case may be, but they want to be treated like a game changer, right? Compared to a stretch individual who are looking for, you know, their next step in their career, you know, as a manager, there's going to have to be some training involved. And, you know, that may not be the best scenario in all instances, right? It needs to be a, a right time and place for you to bring on a stretch individuals who, who you're hoping to, to, to train and hire. Um, so, so, so there's that one con uh, component of actually being strategic in your networking. And then second part is, um, you know, I, uh, had known a, um, uh, I work with a manager who does it exceptionally well, where he thinks about, well, if I only network with, within my network, I'm going to hire people who look like me, talk like me, think like me. There's no uh, diverse, diverse thought, right? Mm -hmm. So he kind of thinks about, well, let me think about what am I missing on my team? And it happens to be a sales professional and sales professionals typically are really good about, um, I need to have my team represent my clients. They, they actually need to be connecting with my clients. So he thinks about, well, who are my clients? And what are my centers of influence? What are the areas that um, we may be using the same services? Like, for example, like an accounting firm or a legal firm. If we're using, if we're running in the same circles, and by the way, he even said even childcare, you know, when you're going to bring your child, like we're in the same circle, right? So that's where he starts to put out um, feelers in terms of, hey, I'm um, looking to network with individuals who I can build a relationship with. For, for a time when it, when it comes time to, to hiring. So he starts to swim 
time in different pools versus going to his college reunion or, you know, continuing to, to go into the same uh, uh, companies, alumni companies that he used to work with in the past. You're just tapping into the same network. He starts thinking about creatively where where do I still have access where I'm not like, you know, uh, this new joiner like, hey, I'm just looking to hire people and no one is going to really take you seriously. So he he's just he's going to a nearby pond to uh, to network. Well, I guess, you know, we're talking about salespeople and I guess one of the old I don't know, things they say is always be closing or something like that. But it almost sounds like you're advocating always be recruiting. Yeah. Or, you know, or connecting, right? Okay. Um, Either way, because you never know what those connections will bring, right? I had um, an individual who I was actually interviewing to report to me. And very, very quickly, we realized we you know, we, we enjoy knowing each other, uh, but it just didn't fit in terms of the the structure, the what what they were looking for out of their responsibilities, what I needed to get done. It just didn't match. But we very quickly realized that we value each other's opinions. We value each other's thoughts. So this individual is actually uh, a head of uh uh, talent acquisition at a global organization uh, outside of financial services. And it's really interesting to kind of bounce ideas back and forth with companies that are outside of uh, the same industry to see different practices, how are things done and so forth and why why that happens. And my husband was recently um, looking for an opportunity and I had reached out to this individual saying, hey, you know, do you know of any any roles? It's like, oh, we're actually hiring for this role in our organization. So you just so so he actually got hired at that organization, right? So he he hadn't my husband didn't have any connection to to this individual or this company at all. And I certainly when I interviewed her to report to me four years ago, I didn't think this was gonna uh, be somehow how you know the the full circle comes together. Uh, but here we are. This is what it means of like always connecting, always you know always have conversations, and it's not necessarily recruiting. It could be anything. It could be just sharing ideas, sharing you know how you and interpret a new law or regulation and how are you approaching that um you know sharing tools and resources uh, so on so on so there's so many connections if you're just really truly curious about that individual and want to connect and want to build a relationship with them it's not going to feel like recruiting it's not going to feel like a chore it's just it will feed your curiosity i like that well i have one more question for you so i am old enough to have seen trends come and go come and go I've seen fashion come and go, come and I can't tell you how many times we have laughed at bell bottoms and then wanted bell bottoms in my lifetime. And so what you're advocating today, Tatiana, how relevant will that be? Let's say five years from now when it's flipped around. Now, companies can be very selective because they're they don't have to be in any rush because we've got lots of people to choose from, like during our great recession here. Will these principles still work then? I I truly do. And here's why. So I think we always forget that starting a new job or hiring a new person to the team is one of the most stressful life events that anyone can do alongside with getting married or getting a divorce, having a baby, going through a death or, or moving. So those things that I just talked about, 
yes, they happen all the time, but that emotional connection to getting married or that emotional connection of, of having a baby that hasn't changed, at least from what I know, like maybe there's more responsibilities and other things that you have to think about, but, but the emotion hasn't. So finding that mutual fit between employer and employee, both short-term and long-term, I don't think will change, <laughs> you know, mm. maybe it will look differently from a, uh, from a standpoint of, you know, uh, some companies may be fully remote, maybe it will be more global and you're, you're, you're working across multiple time zones, uh, you know, across different countries and so forth. So that may change. But the connection and the emotional connection to starting a new job, wanting to grow your career, want to, the, the manager wanting everyone to succeed, I don't think will change. What are, what are your thoughts? I don't know. I mean, I, I hope I'm still alive when that time comes. I'm probably not going to be worried too much about hiring anybody at that point because I'll be hopefully on a beach someplace, you know, reading a book or listening to a podcast like the one that I will no longer have because I'll be retired. But nice. I just know that for somebody who is 30, 40 years younger than I am, now they are starting to think about this. And sure. so that's, that's, I love that. The life events are going to be different, but the emotions will still be there. It's a very good analogy. Well, I'm, I've really enjoyed this talk, Tatiana, and I think our audience probably has as well. How can we reach out to you to have you help us out? Or how do we find a copy of that book? Sure. Well, the book is on Amazon. It's available on paperback, uh, e uh, ebook, and also audiobook. So check it out. Um, you can also find me on LinkedIn, Tatiana Cure. Uh, that's probably the most, uh, the, the best way to be connected with me. I tend to share opinion pieces and so forth there. Um, and then if you really just want to reach out to me for any help uh, at any about anything, uh, they can reach out to me at Tatiana at howtowintalent.com. Excellent. Tatiana Kier is the author of Hire to Win. Tatiana, thank you so much for taking time today to chat with us. If you're listening today, please get a copy of the book and please check out Tatiana Kier. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me, Mac. Well, thanks for taking the time to listen to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast. I hope you enjoy listening to these as much as I enjoy making them. I've learned so much from the guests we've had on the show over the past few years, and I hope that you will continue to listen to us regularly. If you are a subscriber on any podcast app or channel, would you do us a favor and take a moment and leave us a review? We would really, really appreciate it. Also, if you have the time, check out all the offerings we have on our website, which is thebossbuilders.com. We have every other month a Sherm Credit webinar that we present as well as a ton of other events, not to mention our Art of the Great Boss and Art of Being a Great Teammate programs. More information on that site today. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen, and we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Oh, by the way, you may want to unbuckle that seatbelt. I think we just arrived at the gate. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast. We hope you found something today that will relieve your stress, feed your soul, and pump you up to face another day. At Boss Builders, we want to let you know that we appreciate the hard work you do every day as an HR professional. And as a reminder, always make sure to adjust your own oxygen mask before attempting to help those around you. Be well. <laughs>